0: you're listening to the unlocking business growth podcast with nola Heal. nola has over 30 years of experience in financial and operations management for companies around the world as a part-time cfo she's dedicated to working with businesses of all sizes to create sustainable growth and amplify strategy kavita genison is an ai advisor
1: strategist educator and founder of openosis analytics She works with teams across the organization to help integrate AI strategically and get meaningful outcomes from every initiative. With over 15 years of experience, Kavita has scaled and delivered multiple successful AI initiatives for large companies, such as eBay, 3M, GitHub, and McMaster Car, as well as smaller organizations. She's also helped leaders and practitioners around the world through her blog posts, coaching sessions, and open-source tools. Holding degrees from prestigious computer science programs, a master's degree from the University of Southern California, and a PhD from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, with a specialization in NLP search technologies and machine learning. She's been featured by numerous media outlets, including Forbes, CEO World, CMS Wire, Verison, SD Times, Technopedia, and TED Magazine. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. You have extensive industry and academic experience in technology and specifically artificial intelligence, where you've now also written a book to assist in implementing AI successfully. Can you perhaps take us back with some background beyond your bio? What got you started down this path?
2: Well, it's a pretty long story, but let me shorten it a little bit. Um, So I've, throughout my career, I started in AI in 2005. So... It started all with my graduate school. So I've been a lot on the academic side of AI. Then over time, I got to solving industry problems. Nice. And then I also um, managed teams. And I started working with clients. So I got to see a spectrum of problems yeah. in the industry.
1: Absolutely. And from all sides. So from that all would sides, be yeah. Very interesting.
2: So. Yeah. So, for example, that's a very big gap in understanding between what AI is at the leadership level, the non-technical mm. side, versus what it really is at the technical side. Yes. And that gap in understanding uh, can lead to a lot of AI failures because people don't, there's mismatched expectations. Right. Yes. Right. And the book kind of uh, serves like a bridge between these two worlds, the non-technical world and the technical world. Um, And it doesn't assume that you know AI to start with. Mm -hmm. So it starts from the very foundation of what is AI from a non-technical perspective and goes into more deeper concepts like um, how do you, what are the different ways you can apply AI in your businesses? So it gets a lot of ideas going because if you don't see those ideas, then you'll never know how to use AI and you may use it for the wrong problems, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And whether you should build from scratch or whether you should buy these solutions. Um, So that's something also I talk about in my book. And also, like, how do you measure the value that you're getting from AI? Because it's not just about a financial return. It's a lot more than that. So it touches on a range of topics that can be helpful to a business leader, to a data science leader. So to a range of uh, different people. Of different readers. Oh, so that's awesome. So
1: for those who are confused or just have no idea, what
2: is AI in the first place? Yeah. So AI is not the hardware, it's the software. So even if a a robot uses AI, it's a software within the robot that's uh, AI. Um, And it's about trying to mimic human-like thinking and decision-making and behaviors in a computer. And it's not one particular thing, it's actually coming together different sub-technologies to solve specific problems. So for example, there are AI systems that, uh, like chatbots, that Mm -hmm. talk to uh, humans. Um, So understanding human language is called natural language processing. And that's a big subfield within AI. Then there are other AI systems that can see images and videos. So that's called computer vision. That's also a subfield yeah. of AI. Uh, self-driving cars, for example, use computer vision to like, um, figure out what are the obstacles in their way. So that's how it's able to drive itself.
1: Awesome. So So there are different
2: areas like that, uh, machine learning, deep learning, computer vision. They all come together for different, to solve different problems, really.
1: Okay. So now for many of the listeners, they've probably heard of AI, um, well, the, the artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, automation, various, um, Mm -hmm. automation processes. Now, Are they all within the greater field of AI or what is the difference between those? Because there's certainly situations where you hear people saying they decided to use AI and really they should just have created an automation process on what they were trying to accomplish.
2: Correct. So actually, I would say a lot of software automation problems that come to me from clients don't need AI at all. So they assume that it needs AI, but they often don't. It's just software scripts that repetitively do something. So AI problems have a specific characteristic. Uh, It often solves a complex decision-making task. So let's take an example. Um, Let's say you're a physician and you're trying to predict the um, risk score of a person having lung cancer. Mm -hmm. So you're essentially using your domain expertise, your years of training and all the things that you know about the patient. So this is a very complex decision-making task. Yes. And that's the type of problems you want to use AI for, not for the simple scripts that can do things easily. And from a business perspective, you also want to look at the volume, the workload. Mm. So if you're doing this just once, you may not need a software automation. You may not need AI at all. But if they're doing this every single day and by using of automation, you're going to gain um, uh, productivity, you're going to become more productive, then it starts to make business sense also to use AI in those uh, circumstances. So so what are the advantages of
1: using AI? Is it... Beneficial to the bottom line, is it assisting the people? Is it a productivity or efficiency thing? What are the different examples that one could think of to look at the advantage of considering AI in the business?
2: Yeah, a lot of the, one of the biggest advantage, I would say, is in productivity improvement. So a lot of the tasks that we do, like in customer service, a lot of their tasks are manual. Mm -hmm. and it's repetitive and it also requires like human level thinking so let's say you're looking at a support ticket and then you're trying to route it to the correct department for it to get resolved so that requires that you read the ticket you understand what's inside and then route it so Mm -hmm. this may take like five to ten minutes of time for a single person however if you teach an AI system to do it it can do it in a matter of seconds so it's huge productivity boost right there. Then the human can maybe solve the harder problems, uh, can become the supervisor of the AI system. So the human's role then changes a bit where you're f- assisted by this AI system. Yeah, Mm -hmm. makes
1: sense. So I would think it's taking out a lot of the repetition. In a way, it probably is beneficial to the business because it potentially builds customer goodwill, which you build loyalty through the process and and that benefits the bottom line. But that's not the direct benefit you're necessarily looking for in AI. You're not trying to save money. You're trying to either improve the quality of your team's job or you're trying to create more efficiencies in your business, maybe build capacity to grow because you don't need more people or something like that.
2: Yeah, but over time, I think you will see a reduction in the need to hire more employees. So that way you're kind of boosting your bottom line.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So mm-hmm. can AI be used in companies of all sizes or are there better situations than others for AI applications?
2: So I would say large, mid-size to large companies have a lot of uses for AI okay. just because of the company size, the number of manual tasks they'll have to do. Like if you just take sales, you take uh, human resources in hiring. So lots of manual tasks, lots of human level decision making is needed. Mm. And for small businesses, you could use AI, but in very, maybe very specific instances. Yes, maybe for prospecting customers and you may use an off the shelf tool instead of trying to build from scratch, unlike the larger companies that need to customize their solutions on their data.
1: Makes sense. So you can buy um, off-the-shelf software packages as well as build your own. As well as
2: build from scratch. And I think both big businesses and small ones could use AI, just the applications may look completely different.
1: Completely different. That makes a lot of sense. So now implementing AI, or certainly I've done several software conversions or implementations, generally um, a lot of people will wake up one morning and decide they want to implement one of these things, but that's <laughs> not a good idea. You've got to get ready before you do something like this. There's usually a bit of a runway to think about what you want to do and, and, mm-hmm. and plan. So I would think an AI implementation is probably much the same. Is there a lot of preparation that should be done before you start going down the road of implementing?
2: Yes, I think this is actually a a major cause of AI failures, the lack mm. of preparation, because AI systems are complex and they're also heavily dependent on data and the available of expertise, and a lot of pieces need to come together. So the first thing you want to understand is is AI the right solution for the problem to start with. Mm -hmm. Because the benefit of introducing AI may not uh, outweigh the benefit of doing it manually. So you'll have to do that analysis. Um, Then once once you determine that software automation or AI is the way to go, Then you'll have to see, do you have the building blocks? So what are you trying to predict? Are you trying to predict if a transaction is fraudulent? So in that case, you'll need a lot of historical data of examples of fraudulent and non-fraudulent transactions because that's how AI systems learn. They learn based on examples that they see. So that's a huge part um, of preparation. So if you don't have that data, you may want to think about Can you somehow acquire it? Can you spend some time doing it manually to collect that data? So once you have all these pieces in place, that's when you want to start like prototyping. Um, So just build a very small uh, system that maybe solves um, a specific angle of the problem. Mm -hmm. See if it's even feasible. Yeah. Yeah. And these systems have to perform at a reasonable level. So what's the accuracy there? And what happens when we scale this? Does the accuracy like significantly go down or does it stay the same? Yeah.
1: Makes sense. So now I mean the the preparation to implement AI probably takes a fair amount of time. So does it make sense for the majority of applications where they wait until they are fully ready to implement or does it make more sense to do almost a a jump start early implementation in maybe mini projects or something, do it in little phases and scale it up almost like uh, the, the traditional build the skateboard before you try to make the car kind of approach?
2: Correct, yes. So what I typically recommend people to do is if you can start manually, do that because that's okay. going to generate data for you. Yes. And at the same time, uh, you will learn a lot from the solving the problem manually.
1: Mm-hmm. What
2: exactly is a problem you're solving. You Extra can establish
1: too. You probably yeah. <laughs> start off thinking one thing's the problem, and it's amazing how often you discover yes. it's actually quite different. <laughs> it's another
2: thing, yeah. <laughs> and by doing that, you can also establish like baseline metrics, like how long does it take you to do, how accurate is? Is it by doing it manually? So mm. then, when you slowly get into AI prototyping, then you start to see: is it even beneficial to uh, use AI because it's not as accurate as what humans do. It doesn't solve the problem that we are looking to solve. So, yeah. yeah. So how does one go
1: about starting to identify areas that might benefit from artificial intelligence usages?
2: Yeah, good question. Um, so the are few areas that you should be looking into, one is areas where you're doing things manually. So you're doing things manually, and perhaps with the use of some automation, you can significantly speed things up. Mm. Yeah. So for example, if you're trying to classify a login, a website login as fraudulent or non-fraudulent, and you're doing this manually right now, your security team has a bunch of people doing this. So by introducing AI, maybe um, you can boost your productivity significantly. So look for those manual processes.
1: Makes sense. So, I I mean, I would suggest that's possibly a great example. mm -hmm. If one thinks of all these bots that exist nowadays where they try to bombard a log-on system, that's very hard for a human to try and evaluate every one of those attempts.
2: Yes. Yeah, it's like in real time, you're going on and on and on to – Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, that's a great –
2: Yeah, that's one area. Another area is look for legacy software automation. So you may have systems that are already deployed, but their accuracy may not be up to par. So maybe it's performing it at 50% accuracy. Maybe with the use of AI, you could boost it to 80-90% accuracy. So that's another way to look for opportunities. So
1: so in a situation like that, would the application generally replace that legacy system entirely? Or would it be almost an add-on or a replacement of certain aspects of the legacy system?
2: It could be both. It could replace it entirely if it's a very specific and targeted task. But if it's like a piece, small piece of a bigger puzzle then maybe it'll just replace parts of it that's, a, that's problematic. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you evaluate the
1: success of an AI project? Because obviously, I mean, we're not looking for bottom line impact. You know, we've really established that, quite frankly, that's that's got to come, but it's got to come down the road. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how does, I mean, generally the best way of evaluating something is you use some kind of of metrics but not metrics in the sense of a number necessarily so how do you evaluate success of ai projects implementations
2: yeah i i think there are multiple parts to it so first of all you're developing a model to solve a specific problem mm. so the model itself should have acceptable accuracies and this is not just in development you'll have to deploy the model and test it in, with real data with, with real, real data, okay. and real people and okay. see how it performs there. So that's one thing. So model accuracy is a key component. Then once your model is doing what it's supposed to do, uh, the model's a means to solving a problem, a business problem. Mm. So then what are the metrics there? Are you trying to reduce the time to complete a task? So you want to measure the reduction in time or... Maybe instead of reducing, you're increasing that time. Maybe yeah, because, yeah the workflow is too inefficient. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that's called. I call that the business success. So right. measuring metrics that are important to the business. To
1: the business,
2: yeah. And there's another component also that I think that's critical, but people overlook. That is the user component. Right. So. Are the consumers of the AI solution happy with using it? The consumers can be your employees, can be your vendors, can be your customers, can be anyone who's using the AI uh, output. So they need to like um, they need to give you feedback on what they think about the results. So are they likely to use this in five to ten years to come? Because if not, then they're going to go back to their old way of doing things. Yes. So that defeats the whole purpose of automation with uh, AI. Yeah. And asking users for feedback can also surface a lot of problems, like problems in the workflow that I mentioned earlier. Um, it can surface other problems like uh, model issues, like the model may be making mistakes on really simple cases, mm. but, but the, we don't know about it. So the users will be able to tell you that. Yeah. So have you landed up working
1: with clients, I mean, potentially you came in after the fact to try and assist them, but situations where an AI implementation went horribly wrong, either the way they did the implementation or the, the result that came out of it just went so badly wrong. Do you have any kind of ex- high-level examples of what yes. went so badly wrong?
2: So actually... um. There was this client who, before coming to me, um, he had an engineer who just took Amazon's um, tools and ran it on the data that they had. Okay. So this was like for for a sentiment analysis problem. And they already had a model in place. And when he looked at the results, it was like worse than randomly making predictions. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So he said, okay, I think what we have now is much better than what you just built. And the problem was he just ran uh, software on the data without any evaluation in place, that <sighs> manually looking at the results. So he didn't use the data science principles yeah. in evaluating the uh, Ooh, what he developed. That was so kind of badly wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so that fun. is why I went people say anybody can develop models, I say, yes, anyone can, but you need to still understand the data science principles, (laughs) like what you need to do from
0: the beginning. What
2: are you trying
1: to achieve in the first place? Isn't it amazing how often people will try and and it doesn't have to be technology specifically, but they'll start doing something just because it seems like fun. Fun, And then they get the result at the end And the question then comes in as to, well, why did you do this? What were you even trying to accomplish in the first place? And in many cases, people just don't
2: know. Yeah, and in the end, they just blame the tool. They say that tool misbehaved, and that's why the results are like this. I like
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so true. Yeah. So, of all the implementations applications that you've used is there one that you've seen that was really beneficial where they got amazingly good outcomes and improvements from it
2: yes so there was this company that was doing transcription of speech recognition okay uh using speech recognition systems so they used uh, an online tool that was really expensive but um one of their goals was to reduce costs. Mm-hmm. So then I went out and tried to um, evaluate a different open source options, which are not very common. Okay. And we actually found one that was like almost free to use. The results were pretty good, like comparable. And he saved, ended up saving like 400% on his investments. Phenomenal. So yes. So that was a pretty good uh, return on investment. Absolutely. <laughs> Working with,
1: yeah. And I yeah. mean, that just demonstrates the value that can be inherent in implementing an AI solution mm-hmm. in, in that particular case. It was one targeted area that yeah. had an enormous benefit. So if one's interested in implementing AI, how do you go about... Identify, let's for argument's sake say you're a, a, a smaller company, so you don't mm. want to write your own initially. Correct. Um, yeah. How do you go about finding out what kind of prepackaged options are out there to solve a particular problem you've identified?
2: Yeah, that's actually a pretty hard problem. It uh, is. Because it's hard for people to know what options, AI options, there are for yeah. specific problems so off but for common problems like uh, ai assistance the chatbots that mm-hmm. talk to you so those solutions come prepackaged but you still have to customize it on your okay. data so you will retrain models on your company's data okay. so usually for common things like that it's quite published that you have these solutions mm-hmm.
0: but for like
2: smaller problems there may be open source solutions which you may have to customize through code. Right. And that's where you need someone with some AI knowledge or software knowledge to help you out.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I would think someone like potentially your experience would pay Mm -hmm. off in something like this because you would be able to advise on whether the initial idea is a great solution to try and look at, finding some application, but then also if they were to identify something that um, is a potential area, then you could advise on more the technical side and the application and customization, Mm -hmm. obviously. I would suspect that you can probably assist on that.
2: Also, researching the tools, you'll need to compare them like eye to eye, using the same data, evaluate them. Yeah, that also requires some level of data science expertise.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does it usually make sense in these application um, teams to have both technical and business users, which is the way I usually recommend software is implemented?
2: Yes. Often uh, data science teams operate in silos, which is a big problem. (laughs) So how I would like to see things is data scientists embedded in uh, the different um, functional areas so that you have the business person, you have the software engineer, and you have the data scientist. They all uh, have different perspectives. Yes. The business stakeholder will know how the business objectives, which business objectives is supposed to be impacted. And the software engineer can help with all the surrounding work around the solution development. Then the data science person does the data science work to standard. So you need all these different people to working together to bring solutions from an idea to production. Makes a lot
1: of sense. And I would think those are probably the projects that are the most successful. Correct. Because Mm -hmm. they've looked at it from all the angles and – and, and And then probably the follow through after the fact, because there's always a little bit of troubleshooting yeah. or bug fixes after the fact, and if you have your team involved they can yeah they can help you get there and achieve what the what the original idea was so through some of these applications and situations that you've worked through um there must have been some significant challenges. Have you found that you had any Particular techniques or secrets that you relied on to get beyond the challenges or create a success out of the situation?
2: Yeah, so I think the biggest challenge uh, I've seen and very common is the lack of data. Mm. So I've found ways to generate this data as a stepping stone to getting the real data.
1: Awesome. So,
2: yeah, like writing simple software scripts that kind of solve the problem. So that can generate some initial data for you to um, to work on, to work off of. Yeah. Um, or crowdsource uh, data collection. Okay. Or somehow implicitly collect feedback from users, maybe based on their clicks, maybe based on how they're behaving on a software platform, so I, I think I found a few tricks that people may not be commonly using. Yeah. So, but because data is a big part of the AI development process,
1: absolutely. And I would think, quite honestly, if I think of of situations where I might have wanted to consider implementing some technological efficiency in something, quite often the problem was in the lack of data to be able to either evaluate whether it was a real problem Mm -hmm. or to be able to use as the educational mechanism to to figure out how should it be done? How would a a human being have done that? And hence, how do you teach a computer to do that, the data? Because I think in a lot of situations, one thinks of doing something like, you know, as my example earlier was you wake up one morning and think, oh, this could be more efficient if I used (laughs) a computer to do it. But you haven't been gathering your data as you've got Mm -hmm. to that point. So then the decision really has to be, okay, so do I gather data for a while and then consider the solution? Or do I try to find the data at the starting point and decide whether it makes sense to go that road or not? So that's valuable if you found ways of trying to generate some data to be able to evaluate. Generate some data,
2: yeah. Through either implicit collection of feedback from users Or just talk to a few users to start with and see what what, what are the common themes.
1: Yeah, 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 make a start there.
2: So have you noticed that
1: there are any particular themes? Because um, in many of these projects, you find there are a lot of people that are successful. And yet there are lots of people that continually fail or just seem to fail. Mm -hmm. Have there been... Any any common themes around the failures?
2: Yeah, I have a lot to say here. <laughs> <laughs> so the one, um, one of the areas where one of the reasons for failure is jumping directly into development. Oh. So you have an idea and you go straight into development. Then some models get built and some right. don't because of lack of data or whatever reason. And in the end, what happens is that Uh, they may find that, hey, we don't really have a consumer for what we just built. Right. (laughs) Because they started from an idea that was cool, not sure who was going to use it. They just built it and you build it and they will come. Nobody comes in the company. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nobody comes in the company. (laughs) Yes. And a lot of the problems that they do try to solve fails because they don't have the building blocks. They don't have the support needed. To build those applications so that's a common theme I see like diving directly into implementation
1: yeah so definitely set out to try and avoid that mistake if anybody mm-hmm. listening is is considering going down the road of of exploring AI so uh, yes that's phenomenal and I certainly do recommend people. People acquire your book to learn so much more around this topic. Are there any thoughts that you perhaps have in closing? You know, anything that we haven't explored perhaps in our conversation?
2: Sure. Yeah. So what we, we have not talked about is like, how can companies prepare for AI for the long term?
0: Mm. So we've
2: talked about AI, but long-term use of AI, like building it into a company's DNA takes a lot of preparation. And one big part of it is, uh, in my book, I call it B Kids. So it has budget, cultural elements, uh, infrastructure, data, and skills. So a big part of that is data, like having your data, starting collecting, starting to collect data, uh, starting to warehouse data if you're a big company, because... Mm -hmm siloed data can cause a lot of problems to ai systems and it will also block your reporting and your analytics yeah Yeah. Um, and some people are still working off of uh, paper processes so you want to start digitizing these things so you have data in electronic form um then uh you have your The second big element is a cultural element.
1: Mm -hmm. I would think that's a pretty enormous element. (laughs) A big
2: one, yes. Because you, as we spoke about, people may not be used to working as a cross-functional group. They might be used to working in silos. So you'll have to change that because data scientists don't have the domain expertise. They need the business stakeholder involved. Uh, Then the other cultural elements like removing fears around Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah I would think that's a big big thing is getting the company or the or the department or whoever's Mm -hmm. gonna gonna be using these tools getting them just conceptually comfortable with the concept of having some kind of piece of technology that is either assisting in the the job or Or building that level of confidence to rely Mm -hmm. on what it's going to be doing for you as well as I mean there's a tremendous amount of fear among users that the moment you automate something or use a tool that people are going to lose their jobs and you know it's that's a big cultural hurdle to overcome. Yeah. I must admit I haven't yet come across a situation where people did lose their jobs because the content of the job changes. Mm-hmm. Very often for the benefit of, of those the, people, you know, yeah. after the fact, once they get over the learning curve and the fear of change, many of the users have commented, oh, I love it now. You know, <laughs> I don't know why I didn't do this long ago. Correct. But yeah. it's, that's a big culture yeah. shock for.
2: Yeah. And it, the fear is real because of all the media hype on how you're going to lose your job, yes. how you're, how it's going to take over the human race. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and it is, I mean, that,
1: that very last statement there, you know, people are petrified that somehow these computers are going to get smarter than all of us and, yeah. and and start doing something. But, yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's, we're a long way off a computer being able to actually replace humans mm-hmm. entirely. They, they are getting so clever, you know, it's just... It's just amazing to look at the leaps and bounds. But um, I think they'll Not quite
2: taking over humans yet.
1: (laughs) No, 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 fortunately not. And and maybe just as well, because it could be a pretty scary world if the computers were doing
2: everything for us. (laughs) That's right, yeah. So a lot of the common sense reasoning cannot really be done by AI systems. It it reasons based on what it knows, but it doesn't abstract concepts like, as humans, where we can really, really abstract concepts and apply it to different domains, makes sense.
1: Yeah. So that's the distinction: is mm-hmm. that that, that uh, the common sense? Yeah. Um, common sense isn't common in a computer. It's got to be computer. programmed. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> correct. Yeah. Oh, that's really awesome. So thank you very much for joining us today. This was an awesome opportunity to learn more about AI and just how accessible it potentially can be. And, you know, just encourage people to explore the idea of going down that road and, and looking for for areas where one can build efficiencies or grab some advantage out of going the AI route. So
2: thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me, this was really fun.
0: The Unlocking Business Growth Podcast is sponsored by Protea Consulting Professional Corporation. We help our clients translate their operating and accounting data into the strategy for business growth they're truly capable of. Subscribe to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify to hear from other companies that have overcome growth challenges. Get a free copy of NOLA's latest book, The 5F Strategy, Bottom Line Growth in Any Economy Without Additional Sales and Marketing, and download the Financial Growth Scorecard at proteaconsulting.ca. Work with us to achieve your business potential To find out if we're a fit for your business, email info at proteaconsulting.ca and follow the Unlocking Business Growth podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook.